Welcome to the Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Davros. Today we're speaking with B.J. Jones, director for this season's production of The Three Musketeers. B.J.'s been an artistic director at the North Light Theater Company in Chicago for the past 18 years, where he has commissioned and directed world premieres of Charm, White Guy on a Bus, Chapati, Stella and Lou, The Outgoing Tide, Better Late, and Rounding Third. He's also directed at Next Theater, Galloway Arts Festival, Baltimore Center Stage, Steppenwolf, Intiman, Body Politic, the Alliance Theater, and the Oslo Theater. Previously at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, BJ has directed productions of The Tempest, Much Ado About Nothing, and Twelfth Night. His credits as a producer include the world premieres of Shining Lives, The Last Five Years, The Gamester, and Studs Terkel's The Good War. BJ, thanks for joining us on Play On. I'm delighted to be here. We're glad to have you here. BJ is the director of uh, Three Musketeers, and we're going to visit today about uh, your process as a director, things you've done here, other places, and then we want to talk about specifically about this uh, this version of Three Musketeers you've been working on for us in our new Engelstad Shakespeare Theater, but not Shakespeare. Three Musketeers is in fact not Shakespeare. Yeah, this is the first uh, the first non Shakespeare I've done here at the festival. I've done Twelfth Night, Much Ado About Nothing, starring David Ivers, and then Henry Warnitz and uh, Melinda Perrett in uh, Tempest, mm-hmm. and that was uh, in 2013. So this is uh, different for me here at the festival, <laughs> and uh, and actually it's different for me in general. Uh, I'm the artistic director of uh, Northlight Theater in Chicago, in Skokie, actually, just outside of Chicago. And we have, we're Lord C. Theater, uh, David uh, Ivers and Brian Vaughn came to our theater to do Stones in His Pockets a couple of years ago, you may recall. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a 350-seat theater, and it's a deep thrust. And uh, our specialty, actually, increasingly now, is new work. Indeed, you've done a and, number of world premieres yeah, and, and yeah. workshopped and shepherded new works yeah. to the stage. Jason Robert Brown's The Last Five Years yep. and uh, uh, plays like um, uh, White Guy on a Bus and Charm. And uh, Charm is going to be done, I think, at the Mosaic Theater in Washington, D.C. this Excellent. coming year. And it just got finished a, a, a run at Mixed Blood, Minneapolis. Uh, White Guy in a Bus is going to be at 59 East 59th this coming season in New York. So uh, we've given birth to a lot of very successful uh, contemporary and edgy theater experiences. Uh, my history in life, you know, I was a child actor at the Cleveland Playhouse. And, uh, um, you know, I did Richard III. I was one of the kids in the tower in Richard III. And believe me, by the way, I played it. Uh, I deserve to be strangled. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was a child actor and, and did repertory theater when I was a, a kid. And then when I uh, went, uh, when I got out of college, I went into the company at the Cleveland Playhouse. We did Hamlet and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead in repertory. And uh, I worked at the Great Lake Shakespeare Festival. And that was, we did five shows we, in rep, which was quite a challenge. Sounds um, familiar. For, for the entire company. So I'm, I'm familiar with the repertory animal. Um, but this is, a, this is a different piece in a way for me because it's, you know, it's very large. Yeah. And it's beautifully designed by Scott Davis, who did our set, and David Mickelson, who did the stunning costumes. And uh, it's sort of like a musical, but instead of, uh, instead of a, a song erupting out of the middle of a scene... 
uh, a sword fight breaks out <laughs> or some form of cartoonish violence. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, um, you know, it, it, Ken Ludwig was commissioned by the Bristol uh, Old Vic to do this. They were going to do uh, Treasure Island, but um, uh, there was a, a theater in London that was going to be doing it on the West End. So Bristol Old Vic flipped uh, flipped their uh, commission and asked him to do something else, and he came up with the Three Musketeers. And it was wildly successful for them. And it's been done all over the country, and it's been done in England quite a bit. And uh, our friend Blake Robeson, who did Pride and Prejudice here at the festival, uh, directed it at uh, Cincinnati Playhouse in the park. Uh, it, it, you know, it really engages an audience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's great for families. Uh, but it was unusual because of the size of it for me. It was, it was quite something to get our arms around. But the preview audiences have been spectacular, particularly we've noticed that um, the kids really enjoy it. Uh, there was a woman who had five children. She brought her five kids from like age seven to age 17. And they came to the talk back the other morning. Oh, great. Yeah, and they, they just loved it. Of course, they, they, there were a couple of things that they... Uh, They'd, they'd like me to change because it, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a particular death in the play that... <laughs> that, they, that they had some that, questions that, or issues. Well, with. they, you know, they, they uh, fell in love with the character, so they uh -huh. didn't want the character to die, which shows you the kind yeah. of engagement that the audience has with the work. So all that, on that note, talk a little bit for us about... This is a classic story, Alexander Dumas, yeah. who also, you know, Count of Monte Cristo, among many others... Um, a classic story, but as you said, uh, Ken Ludwig's more modern adaptation, which means the language isn't necessarily Shakespearean or classic, but the no. characters are sort of old world. It takes place in the 1700s. 1625. 17th century. But it was written in, in the 1700s. You know, his father was a general for uh, Napoleon, mm -hmm. and his father ended up going, being incarcerated. Uh, uh, I think he used, not unlike Dickens. Sure. You know, I think this is a, a worthy analogy. Uh, not unlike Dickens, he used uh, the political tenor of the time. He, he commented on the political tenor of the time by using the uh, events of a hundred years previous to um, make his political points. Mm -hmm. um, Dickens, of course, was reflecting on uh, the working class and uh, child labor mm -hmm. and and it was serialized. Three Musketeers was serialized as well. Indeed. It was done in uh, a magazine called La Siec, The Cycle. And uh, uh, people couldn't wait to get it at their local bookstall to read the next um, episode. And I, you know, I think that's, uh, I think the play is a worthy reflection of that style and that structure. You know, it it hurdles forward very quickly. It's very cinematic. Mm -hmm. uh, scenes, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of collide and move forward quickly from one scene to the next. Uh, frequently, we don't have time to even change <laughs> uh, a set because it's, uh, you just know, it's done it. by a gesture, you know, a, a physical gesture that just like the town of Moriac is, uh, you know... Um, uh, represented by three townspeople and a sign. That's it, because you know? <laughs> we have to, you know, move forward very quickly because it is like a movie. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, an action movie. Beginning of the summer, I keep saying this when I, I go to the, uh, uh, over to the talkbacks the next morning after our previews. And, uh, you know, I keep saying that the beginning of the summer, I saw X-Men. And I'm not given to those as a general rule, but I, I went to see X-Men and I went, holy cow we're actually doing this in the rehearsal hall right now yeah. because it uh, it's fast, uh, very uh, funny, and sometimes very dramatic. And uh, it switches back and forth very quickly. Well, in that sense, it sounds like some, uh, that's a good analogy for modern audiences is thinking of The Three Musketeers quite literally mm -hmm. as a, a kind of comic book, a comic book play. No, no, no question. And the serial and the characters, the adventure, yeah. all of those wonderful things that yeah. we love about comic books and comic book movies. Yeah. It's it's the X-Men meets Princess Bride. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, Isabel Bronstein, our, uh, our dramaturg, refers to it as Princess Bride because that speaks to her generation, uh, I think. And it it's th that kind of, you know, there are huge caricatures and then there are real characters that move you um, instantly uh, and in short order. It's pretty interesting. I, the last two previews have been, I think, and, you know, I'm, uh, I have another preview tomorrow mm -hmm. night, so. Uh, but the last two pre previews have been quite an education for me uh, as a director to watch. We really depend on our preview audiences to tell us how the play is doing, what, they, what they're feeling about it, and... And uh, I'm gratified, not just by the uh, audience response in terms of humor, but the fact that they are connecting with the characters in, yeah. in a way that even surprised me. So, You talked a little bit at the beginning. I, I love that analogy of this is a musical, but instead of musical numbers, we have sword fights. That yeah. means that they are both frequent and, uh, I imagine, fairly fun and intense. Yeah. Talk about, talk about when you're... When you're when you're directing a show that has that much stuff in it, beyond just the scenes and the characters, but you've got to work through the tech, the technical things like these fights, how do you uh, how do you approach them working with a fight choreographer from and from a storytelling perspective? What kind of conversations do you have? Well, last March, I'm from Chicago, and our co fight choreographer and our set designer Scott Davis are all from Chicago. So uh, we had our first meeting. I don't know if your audience is interested in this, but we had our first meeting here in uh, the first week of December to talk about what the, what it's going to look like. And I share a stage with Much Ado About Nothing and Henry V, so whatever we do has to be changed over uh, that night after mm -hmm. we're done with our performance for the next show. So we, we sit down with the, the uh, set designer and we find out what key, key and common elements can be blended into the repertory in general. Then with my uh, fight choreographer, who also did s some of the fights in, uh, all of the fights in Henry V, and then of course some of the fun physical stuff and Much Ado About Nothing, I started talking to him once uh, he came on board in March, I believe it was. We met at the coffee studio in Chicago and sat down for a couple hours and went through scene by scene to talk about what the violence wanted to look like. Mm -hmm. And I, when I say violence, I mean with a, with a uh, small V. Um, the first act is a lot of really fun fights, and everyone has, you know, it's, you know there's a lot of laughter <laughs> in those fights. Uh, but then the play gets progressively more serious as the stakes get higher and higher, as 
Cardinal Richelieu puts the clamps on the three musketeers, and in particular D'Artagnan, the Queen, and uh, the Queen's uh, uh, sort of confidant, Constance Bonacieux, and, uh, and using uh, uh, Rochefort, his henchman, and uh, Milady, uh, his female henchman, uh, to, to disrupt the political structure because he's a power-hungry madman uh, who's both funny and menacing. Um, so we talked about the tone of those fights and how it wanted to start and how it wanted to end uh, and what the, what the journey of those fights are and what the purpose of them is uh, in terms of the arc of the play. Um, and then we get here, and I stage. He wasn't uh, David Woolley, our fight choreographer, wasn't here the first week. So the first week, I staged the first act as quickly as I could. Uh, I don't know if your audience knows this, but we have we, we, because I'm sharing a cast with two other plays, mm -hmm. at least. Um, I I get 16 hours a week of rehearsal. Yeah. Uh, according to Actors Equity, so I have to move very quickly, and uh, I put the play on its feet very quickly. Um, I don't, uh, with much ado about nothing or Tempest, I sat at the table for a couple of days. But in this particular instance, knowing that I had to give up my cast for all these sword fights, yeah. um, I tried to get as much of the play uh, on its feet and uh, cogent mm -hmm. uh, and understandable uh, as possible. And then Wooly showed up, and there were some people he had to teach. Sure. Not just choreograph, but teach some people who've never really done uh, extensive sword fighting uh, in uh, a play before. So he had to teach them technique, uh, how not to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> and, how to make it look real but not be real. That's right. Yeah. And, and uh, it's quite spectacular. I, you know, I'm, I'm really... I'm really uh, Pleased with the way it looks. I'm sure there are pictures online you can see. I yep, took some are. myself, and they, it's really beautiful. David Mickelson's done a magnificent job, and Donna, our uh, Rizika, our lighting designer, who is, works magic in such a short amount of time. It's it's rather it's a it's a big challenge because of you know the number of plays they're doing here and the artisans that are involved and how quickly we have to work. But I have a spectacular cast with great patience and uh, uh, a sense of collaboration and compassion for each other. And uh, I think I think your audience is really going to have a great time. Well, I, I can't wait for more, more of them to get here and see it. It's, it sounds like the perfect blend of uh, adventure and accessibility and fun. And, and as you say, the, the rich canvas of the time period and the work of the designers means that there's room for... Lot, there's something sort of in the show for everybody beyond the whole season that this yes. is the kind of thing where something will connect with someone no yeah. matter their background or experience in theater. Yeah, and I think Ludwig's adaptation um, is in itself a sort of, you know, when I grew up, they used to have these uh, uh, masterpiece comic books, mm -hmm. and uh, one of which notably was Three Musketeers. It's always a favorite. And when you look at Richard Lester's adaptation, a two-part adaptation, film adaptation of The Three Musketeers, it is uh, both serious and comic book funny. I mean, 
Raquel Welch is in this film, and she's <laughs> never been a, as funny. It may be her finest performance, and who knew she was a kind of goofy com comedic Carol, actress, yeah. Carol Lombard comedian. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, and this very much draws from that tradition, I think. Um, uh, and I think it's fitting that when you look at the three plays that are at the Engelstadt uh, this year, that uh, Henry V is heroic and huge mm -hmm. and uh, historically accurate. And then there's Much Ado About Nothing, which is fun and uh, frothy and moving. Mm -hmm. You know, having directed it myself, it's one of my favorite Shakespeare's uh, in the comedic uh, vein. Mm -hmm. And then this, which is really light and fun and uh, frothy and... and uh, so it's uh, you have quite a spectrum uh, available to you if you if you're here for a week or a weekend to be able to choose uh, the kind of piece you want to see. Should more classical festival type theaters do plays like this? This sort of in the vein of classic literature, but perhaps a more accessible adaptation. Well, I think they do. I mean, this one in particular has been quite successful out there in the uh, in the regionals, and I uh, you know. Uh, the Guthrie and Stratford have each done mm -hmm. uh, productions of, uh, I mean, let's face it, Bristol Old Vic yeah. is a very serious theater, but yeah, they did absolutely. this very large um, production of uh, Three Musketeers. And, uh, you know, it's it's drawn from, from serialization. So it really has its, you know, it has its feet in, uh, in that style. And... Should they? Well, I think they already are. And I, I, you know, I think audiences here are certainly going to be gratified by it. There's, you have Shakespeare, particularly in the Ingolstadt, you know. Uh, I, I think that, you know, there's only so many plays in the canon, Shakespeare's mm -hmm. canon. So to be able to uh, toss in one of these as a sort of sorbet, a palate <laughs> cleanser, I think is uh, important and smart programming um, because it, it, uh, and let's face it, we, you know, we're, we, it is show business. So we have to uh, draw the next generation of ticket buyers mm -hmm. um, to become engaged by the theater, particularly theater that finds its roots in, in literature. And that's what Three Musketeers is. Um, you know, if you see a kid who's eight years old sitting in one of the seats and he's engaged for two, two hours and 20 minutes, to get a kid in this day and age to sit and watch something for two hours and 20 minutes is a minor miracle. It is. And to get him started on theater is vital, I think. Live theater is important. Otherwise, they're staring at a cathode ray tube and playing video games. I have a grandson who uh, at two years old has his own iPad. Yeah. And, you know, uh, how much can you take of Thomas the Train? <laughs> I'm over him, but apparently, <laughs> apparently Cooper Jones isn't. So, uh, you know, but I watched ki kids who were six, seven, and eight years old this last Wednesday, and uh, I watched them like a hawk, and they were, they were glued to the stage. You got to not only see audiences react to the show, but see a kid's... Connect, serious connection to live theater that will last forever. Yeah, yeah. And to be able to make the connection, by the way, you know, to, you know, people say, well, what about these sword fights? Are they, 
are they too violent for the kids? Well, they're seeing X-Men. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. on television. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's in their home. So uh, the understanding that it's, uh, or any of the robot films, or any of the films with Roman numerals after their titles, <laughs> you know, I, I refuse to see anything. You know, Jaws 1 was enough for me. I don't yeah. need to see Jaws 5. Yeah. Um, uh, so to, uh, they're accustomed to that. And I think, I believed, I do believe that they know the difference between Real violence oh, yeah. and violence. Especially on stage. Yeah. Just being able to see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like a treat for audiences, and it's for sure been a treat to have you here with us, BJ, talking I about you. Coming. And, I, uh, I love coming. I love coming. You know, this is a very special, rarefied place. Um, my family has been out uh, over the years. Uh, my wife's coming tomorrow. Uh, the chairman of our board from Northlight is coming tomorrow with her husband and because uh, he's obsessed with the Marx Brothers so we can't wait to see coconuts, <laughs> coconuts. and uh, uh, and he probably can mouth all those Groucho Marx phrases <laughs> right along with the show but uh, you know to be able to see this much theater in the short amount of time and then take to the hills and uh, it's uh, so beautiful here and it's I and it's so great to be in a company of really skilled wonderful actors to be able to have artistic conversations with them. It's like it's like going on a retreat for me, Yeah, uh, an artistic retreat for me, and it's refreshing for my soul, my artistic soul. Well, we're grateful to have you and hope to uh, see you again soon. Thanks for being with us on Play On. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Play On podcast. Be sure to go back and listen to past interviews on the festival webpage, bard.org. Check out the latest episode released every Friday with your favorite directors, actors, and designers from our 2016 season.